a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Is that Jesus can return at any time. He's not waiting for a Japanese nuclear power plant to melt down. No. The thing that's holding him back is his patience and love for lost humanity and nothing else. Uh, there, 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 There are no events that need to occur before Jesus comes back. And so seeing all the things that happen around us and saying, hey, hey, that means Jesus is coming. The answer is, no, no, that's wrong. That's the wrong way of looking at it. Jesus can come at any moment. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And Luther says the only way that uh, the pronoun me and God could be in the same sentence is by this verb, have mercy. I've got. I've given myself the new nickname. I've thrown aside all the other accolades that you toss at me so freely, Evan. Uh, yeah, like, they, uh, they 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 feel like wine. Rider. Yeah, and uh, what else am I? I can't remember. I can't remember and them I'm all either. Up. They're just too numerous. <laughs> it's pretty bad when you're listening to a Lutheran theological game show, and you're disappointed that you weren't more disappointed. I think that might <laughs> wait, be the, the case. Of this. That just is confusing me. Hold on. I gotta think of that about that a little bit. Let me shut down the Twitter. You know, when you when you listen to an uh, episode of Table Talk Radio, you're expecting a certain level of disappointment. Right. That's and, right. And when you don't reach that level of disappointment, you are therefore disappointed. That's right. It's like when the kids bring you the shoe and say, "Dad, smell this," and you are expecting something horrible, and you smell it, and you're like, "Oh, that's not that bad." <laughs> Let me guess. They brought you your shoe. The, the disappointment of the lack of disappointment. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Like, Failing to meet like, your already lowered expectations. Like sniffing your own shoes. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, the that was a complicated metaphor. Uh, this it? is going to be a thinking episode, apparently. Well, it's good to have one of those once every 314 shows. <laughs> This is already the hot bar has been set high. Yes. Well, for today's shoe metaphor, for for today's shoe (laughs) metaphor episode, uh, we are going to do a little. uh, Well, I think we were actually going to do what game does this fit into? Game doesn't? Oh yeah, this is the table talk petri dish. (laughs) What do you mean by that? So you're going to throw in some obviously bacteria infested theology, (laughs) and then we're going to let it cook up. And see what if it grows into a game. Yeah. Oh, that'll be good. I'm sure. This is where, you know, normally how, normally the game is an excuse to talk about theology. In this case, the theology, or lack thereof, is an excuse to create a new game. <laughs> so we're hoping to have a new game taking shape <laughs> by the end of the second segment or right. something like that. And the, the culture for this, uh, uh, this experiment uh, is provided... <laughs> By uh, one of the districts of the Missouri Senate. Do you, do you spell culture differently when you're talking about culture like pop culture versus culture like the bacteria that you put in a petri dish? <laughs> I don't or know. is it spelled the same? I don't know. Google it. And I then will. we're going to be doing some praise song crunching with your praise songs, which you emailed to us questions at tabletalkradio.org. And uh, before we get to that email box, we're going to go do some buzzwords. So this um, is amazing. The art. It's a culture. This will be my buzzword now. <laughs> this is not good. The arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively or the cultivation of a bacteria, tissue cells, and an artificial medium containing nutrients. 
So it's spelled <laughs> the same way, huh? Yeah, same word. All right, so culture, I have freedom to use it either way, huh? you got to use it both ways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My buzzword was going to be Eutychianism, but I'm taking that down. I'll save right, it for next right. week. Uh, let's see. Alt-R. <laughs> dating? <laughs> no, no, no. We're gonna, let me do that again. <laughs> no, no. Just stay on dating. <laughs> that's a Theopedia <laughs> random. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> what, is this? what is this? What's it say? Uh, this would be some good advice. The, the process of wait, find, I should be finding reading it to you so you can of, take notes. <laughs> the process of finding the age of something—that's what it says. I promise. No, come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. This it ha- all it has for this entry on Theopedia for dating is a quote from Matthew Hall. Do you know who Matthew Hall is? No. Neither do I. But the the quote says this. The anecdote to dysfunctional relationships is not to encourage singles to just get out there and dig in, but to encourage them to dive into service within their local church, to take advantage of this season of life, to follow hard after God, and to think and pray through those characteristics that they value in a mate. Now, that is one long sentence, but it continues. Let's be honest— Dating is about marriage. Even unbelievers recognize that to some distorted level. Thank you, this, Matthew Hall. I, I don't know what that's talking about, but I do know. So this dating idea is so when you're dating, this is the uh, this is the transition from the vocation of celibacy to the vocation of spouse. You know what that's talking about. So uh-uh. you, you... <laughs> <laughs> I do. No. Uh, th- th- this is this. <laughs> this is. Th- there's a whole list of multimedia for this. It says, "Biblical courtship: a nine sermon series by Dr. Dan Coleman. Courtship and marriage: an eight sermon series from Pastor Walter. Do you think all the married My people goodness. just uh, Puritan courtship by Pastor? That's Michael the one Phillips. I'm interested in you reading. <laughs> Courtship and Biblical Manhood and Courtships Part 1 and 2 by Joshua Harris. Now, I am a little familiar with Joshua Harris because that was the fad when I was in high school. And the, I kissed dating goodbye? Yeah, and you that's took that one. a little too seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Look at the fruit it's bearing. Or lack of fruit. But what it has is... Well, a, that's, how is this is in the church? I said, no, we don't date. We court. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and, and so the whole the whole thing was. I mean, so the opening pages is uh, sets up a scene of of a wedding, and there's a, a a groom and a bride up there, and then all of a sudden, all these uh, women come in and and line up behind the groom, and the bride goes, "What's going on here? I thought we we're getting married." And, and he said, "Well, these are all my ex girlfriends, and they each have a piece of my heart." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Wait a minute. Say that so. So he was the assertion. All the ex girlfriend. Oh, I see to, how to this give goes. yourself emotionally to uh, potential partners before you actually get married um, is to uh, is to not give your future spouse full devotion. Oh, I got gotcha. you. So the idea is that uh, it's it's trying to accomplish an American idea of uh, arranged marriages, and so uh, you would. Uh, I'm for that, by the way. You want to know why? <laughs> because you have, have a 15-year-old daughter. daughter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 14. I'm either... I'm, uh, one, thing, two, one of two things has to happen. Either we need to open a Lutheran nunnery, or <laughs> we got to start doing arranged marriages, preferably the nunnery. <laughs> Good luck with that. 
Thank you. All right. That isn't an important point, by the way. When you are single, you have the vocation of chastity. So you basically, if you are single, you are one third of a monk or a nun. Remember the threefold, um, the threefold pledge that a monk or nun would make: obedience, chastity, and poverty. If you're single, you got that chastity pledge down. You are a one third nun, one third monk. Right. Unless you're dating, then you're. That's dating is training to be not a nun or a monk. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I, I think is awkward about uh, dating. <laughs> All right, I'm uh, is, uh, is to that this. that you have um, this uh, uh, precursor of a vocation that you don't actually have? So um, when you're when you're dating, you're trying to uh, discover if this is the person that um, that you would uh, pledge yourself uh, for the rest of your life. And a boyfriend does not have a calling from God to die for his girlfriend as Christ did the church. And the girlfriend doesn't have the mandate from God that she should uh, submit to her boyfriend. True enough. However, if neither boyfriend or girlfriend are exhibiting those characteristics, it's probably not going to demonstrate that they're apt to be a good husband or wife. Yes. So you have this kind of awkward thing where you're trying to show yourself to be uh, a good spouse, and yet at the same time, uh, you don't. Uh, I mean, you maybe wouldn't give yourself completely to that. Yeah. So look, you got to think of it more like trying out for the football team. <laughs> I mean, you're not actually playing a football game, but you want to show the coach that you can do it. If you <laughs> time to fair play. enough. Have that we talked about this long enough yet? <laughs> <laughs> no. I want to know some more about what you're thinking about it. Uh. Well, what would you like to know? <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. I got some emails here. All right. This is, uh, let's see, um, ah, uh, let's see, uh, uh, I was, this is from uh, Dave. Dave writes, hey, pastors, Hey. I was listening to the most recent episode this morning while you were playing Name That Theologian. There was a quote that contained the word presupposes several times. Pastor Wolfmuller joked that it must be a Reformed guy. Over the past several years, I've studied up on presuppositional apologetics as taught by Greg Bonson. Cornelius Van Til and Cy Tenbruggen Kate. How do you say that name? All of who I believe are reform guys. Are either of you familiar with the topic? I found it to be a powerful apologetic technique when someone has rejected the truth of the Bible and other Christian arguments. Outside of one segment on fighting for the faith, I've never heard any Lutheran speaking for or against presuppositional apologetics. What's up with that? Is there anything un-Lutheran about presuppositional apologetics when it's used to show the futility of non-Christian worldviews to prepare the way for the gospel? Thanks, and keep up the mediocrity, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Um, I, I know nothing about this. Okay. You do, do, though. Well, I'll tell you who uh, is the guy to talk to about this would be our friend and occasional guest here on Table Talk Radio, Mark Pearson. Uh, he's the guy that can lay out the differences. And hey, and quiet, quiet! This is a good song. Oh, okay. No, we'll be right back after this break. But uh, Mark Pearson, I think, uh, is a strong advocate for uh, evidential apologetics, while uh, still seeing the usefulness. Uh, some good points, I should say, in presuppositional. We'll be uh, right back and say more about it after this break. You tuned in at the worst of all possible times. This is Table Talk Radio.
Welcome back at Table Talk Radio. Before the break, we were responding to an email from Dave, uh, who sent us an email at questions at tabletalkradio.org, uh, about the distinctions and differences, uh, particularly as it relates to uh, an appeal to Reformed theology versus Lutheran theology of presuppositional apologetics and evidential apologetics. Uh, the difference between those two things is that um, uh, an, an evidential approach to apologetics uh, demonstrate, demonstrates that um, that there's particular evidences, and this could be in all forms. I think that the way that the Lutheran apologists have usually taken is that of the historical route. So you uh, can make the case historically that that Jesus uh, lived at, at a time and space, um, and uh, we have the historical documents. So that, that just as someone might make a historical assertion that... Uh, Abraham Lincoln walked this earth, and there's a historical way to to prove that. Uh, if Jesus, true God, was also true man, and uh, there is claims that he died and rose again, that's a, a claim of history. So, the the point can be uh, proven from historical uh, case. Uh, evidentialists wouldn't say then that that is what imparts faith, but that uh, at least maybe tears down some stumbling blocks to someone uh, who would not listen to the um, the Word of God, the law and gospel. Now, the presuppositionalist approach, on the other hand, uh, sees that um, there is no difference, so to speak, of what God has revealed to the Christian versus what God has revealed to the unbeliever. It's just that in their unrighteousness, the unbeliever has suppressed the truth. And so because they have suppressed the truth, they are uh, fallen and, and, and unable to believe the, the truths of the Bible. So if I walk up to the, the unbeliever uh, under the presuppositional approach, I have the assumption that God has already revealed uh, the, the, the knowledge of God, of the Christian God, to this person, and I'm going to speak the divine truths so to draw this person to repentance. So I'm, speak, I'm, in essence, speaking to the revelation in them, so to speak, if I could use that, use that phrase. Yeah. Um, so uh, to, to lay out an evidential approach, say like in the, um, in the way of philosophy, to lay out a philosophical re- rationale why God exists is to not be using the Christian uh, revelation of what God has given us. It's simply to um, uh, make certain assumptions about how we come to know what is true that is outside of God's revelation. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm going to maybe just speak to this in the way that I have uh, seen. Uh, what was that guy that uh, he brought up? Uh, Ty Bergenkade. Uh, I believe yeah. that's how you, how you say his name. He, he released this movie um, that is a big hit on, uh, on YouTube, How to Answer the Fool, and uh, basically asked this question. And I, I think there is some usefulness in this approach to say, uh, of all the knowledge that's available in the world, Pastor Wolfmuller, what, yes. what percentage would you say that you know? Oh, I don't know. Probably close to 98, 99%. <laughs> sure you Obviously. do. Uh, I mean, it would oh, be... I, no, I mean, so uh, very little. Okay, 2% right, something. Right. So it, it's like the height of arrogance to say like 3%, 2%, something like that. So you're the height of arrogance. Uh, and so if you're, if you're speaking to someone who, who says there is no God... And you say you only know 2% of all the knowledge available. Isn't it possible that the existence of God exists somewhere in the 98% um, that you just simply don't know? And, of course, the person he gets the person to admit, yes, it's true, that I I could be wrong about my 
uh, what, what I say about God. And then he can say, well, I have uh, the, the revelation from God from the one who says he knows 100%. Um, yeah. So here you go. Now, the thing I don't like about uh, Ty Bergenkade's approach is that in the in debates with atheists, this is the only thing he's coming back to. Every argument that the atheist makes thereafter, he simply says, but you said you can be wrong. You said you can be wrong. You said you could be wrong. And he yeah. never actually gets around to preaching the gospel. He never talks about sin yeah. and and uh, the uh, the forgiveness of sins. And so I, I have that uh, critique. The other thing that I would say— I that, have that against you. I have that against Burgundy. you. Right. The, I think the value that the Lutherans take in the uh, in the historical approach is that uh, if if we can say that the fallen man is able to consider evidence, so let's say you have a detective who is an unbeliever, and he's able to come upon a crime scene and collect the evidence, and to and it would point then to who the murderer was, then that same unbeliever can collect the evidence to the the man Jesus who walked this earth. And uh, because we see in the Incarnation, Jesus uh, is true God and true man, this is going to point then to an empty tomb. Now, again, this isn't for the purpose of that one would see the evidence and now be a believer. But now, if, uh, you be- if you can see the historical evidence that there was an empty tomb on Sunday morning, you might be a little more willing to hear what that person said about your sin and your forgiveness. So, so is the, is one of the differences that one kind of treats Christian Christian theology like a philo- more like a philosophy versus the other one is treating it as a historical event. Um. Well, I I think that that might be wrapped up in some of it, but I think what the presuppositionalist is trying to do is to work against philosophy and more towards a theology. Oh, okay. So, uh, so they would accuse the evidentialists of being philosophical. Um, in in any anyone who approaches uh, kind of a a reason that God exists, um, if you're not just saying, I mean, you don't have to prove that God exists because they know deep down in their though it's suppressed in their unrighteousness, according to Romans one and two, they know that God exists. They are without excuse. It's simply to call them to repentance for not believing it. That's uh, what the presuppositionalist wants to say. All right, I got you. I'll tell you what. I know that this uh, eight-minute treatment of, of this <laughs> distinction was not sufficient, and so we'll try to get uh, an expert guest uh, as a table scraps interview, and we'll explore this a little bit more. Yeah. All right. So, Pastor Wolfman, will you stall a little bit while I pull up this uh, uh, culture? <laughs> yeah. Dear friends, please, please go sign up for Workflowy. <laughs> and use the link that I put on my Facebook page because it gets me 250 more things. Okay. You're done? Really? No. What about your trip? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, dear friends, please come to Israel with us next June. It'll be great. Oh, dear friends, please visit <laughs> adcrusome.com. Have you, got, have you gone over to the adcrusome lately? No. So you remember Ad Crusum? There are friends that are working on. Here's their tagline: discerning Christian art and design. So I got to work with them on making these uh, cards. They're fantastic uh, gift card kind of things. Um, but they have a ton of stuff on there. Okay, that was they good. Got, they got cards and no. things like that. I mean, uh, uh, gifts and other kind of liturgical art and things like that. Right. Okay. 
Now, let's turn to our next uh, experiment here. Now, I happen to be a pastor in the uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, specifically in the Northwest District. And um, all the uh, pastors and and um, I guess anyone on the mailing list uh, of the Northwest District has recently received a survey called the uh, Northwest District LCMS Life Cycle Survey. And uh, the encouragement was that we would send this survey to 10 to 15 leaders in our church to ask the following questions. So uh, let's just... Nothing in- could go wrong with this. <laughs> you know, this, this, this idea, by the way, that the church has a life cycle is uh, from the get-go false. But it's one of these church growth things. Uh, the church growth guys love to talk about how the church is an organism, and they say, obviously it's an organism. Look, it says the church is the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is an organism. Well, all right, fine. But the body of Christ is also an organism, which is the deity wrapped up in humanity. <laughs> and and so they so then they want to go and make this analogy to talk about how a healthy organism is reproducing uh, it ages, it grows, it it finds us, you know, it dates. <laughs> so, so you're, so if you see the church as an <laughs> organism that has a life cycle, you're stuck wondering why uh, the body which has Christ as the head could be dying. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, because because everyone else dies. You're like, man, look at it. I'm old. That's what I hear about that uh, when I talk to people. You know, like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. You're lucky nobody or, listens anyway. to this show. <laughs> I know. This is going to be the one time mom's going to be sitting in the airport and says, I wonder what Brian's doing. <laughs> what if he still calls me a hippie? She tunes into that exact moment. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, you know, it's not easy getting old. You get, you know, creepier, creakier, and your hair gets whiter and all this sort of stuff. You start, and, it gets, and so then so the church is an organism. It's probably aging, too. So we ask, is the church a teenager, an adolescent, a child, an old lady, or what? Right. And uh, I think that uh, we're going to see this come out in some of the questions. We're going to be looking at this uh, survey. Now, remember, Pastor Wolf, you've got to be asking your question, what game does this make? We'll be right, right. back on Table Talk Radio. Hi, this is Jonathan Fisk, and Table Talk Radio is terrible. I'm selling you something. <laughs> I know you don't believe it, but it's true. I am. I, I'm trying to sell you or your congregation. If you're not a pastor, if you could give this information to your pastor, I'd really appreciate it. An electronic baptismal certificate. It's an electronic, customized uh, for your church certificate that prints out on an 11 by 17 page. It, it's an old-fashioned looking, but uh, a technologically up-to-date certificate with woodcut images, the four catechism baptismal verses, uh, and a place to input electronically uh, baptismal information, and it's available for $35 per congregation, and you can print as many as you want as, until the Lord Jesus returns. Uh, the way to see this certificate and get input to me for it or order it is to go to wolfsoncreative.com. That's W-O-L-F-S-O-N. C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E dot com. And you can click on the certificate there and, and see it. You can even print a sample to see if it, you can print it out. And order information is all there as well. So, again, it's wolfsoncreative.com. That's a customizable electronic baptismal certificates for your congregation. Uh, thanks for your time. And, see, I am trying to sell you something, and I hope you'll buy it. 
That's, that's the haters going to hate. I put that on in the background when I'm tweeting, you know, so I can do some hate tweets. It just reminds me what I'm supposed to do. It's like a vocational thing. It's like, I'm a hater. What am I supposed to do? Oh, yeah. Haters going to hate. All that's right. What I'm supposed so to do. We've, we've talked about the problem of seeing the church as an organism. Uh, because that is, if we get that around our heads around that, we have done well. Because everywhere, church is an organism. Prove it. What's what's Prove the it from what's the, the Bible? What's the alternative? The church is uh, the church is an institution. How about that? Oh come on! It, the the church, church is one of the it's it's a movement, one of the ch- not an institution. <laughs> it's true. How's, how's your movement? That's personal. <laughs> okay. Question number one: That uh, the the leaders. Of the church. Oh, oh yeah. Be... So this is a survey that the leaders of my that I'm going to give to the leaders of my church. Yeah, yeah. And so your options in answering likely. this question are: I mean, so how much would you agree? All right. Or how does this work? Um, it's multiple choice. Let me just read. Congregational. I'd like li- a short answer question. If we could turn it into a short answer. <laughs> okay, I'd, we could do that. We could do that. Right. It says congregational life cycles are more than. Uh, t- sorry, are more than timelines and attendance stats. Uh, life cycles are also measured by attitudes and opinions. The following survey is designed to provide feedback on your perception of your congregation's attitudes and opinions. There are no wrong answers. <laughs> I bet there are. <laughs> Only your answers. Uh, please be as candid as you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, please respond carefully based upon your experiences and perceptions about your congregation. Okay, the question number one. The things we do as a church are done as a result of the driving vision of the senior or lead pastor. What? Driving vision. The, the things we do as a church are done as a result of the driving vision of the senior or lead pastor. See, I don't know. I, I You know the senior versus lead pastor? This is I, I've, I've upped it. By the way, I'm around here. I am the chief lead vision senior administrative pastor. I'm, don't for, I don't forget I, it. I actually have no problem with this question because the lead pastor would be Jesus. And, <laughs> oh, you are such a and his his vision <laughs> is that we practice closed communion. His vision is that we baptize and to teach, and uh, that we maintain good order as has been given to us through uh, the church for two thousand years. I had a I had a friendly conversation with a couple visionary lead leading pastors, a couple guys with the gift of apostleship lately, and I was because you know one of the things that the church growth guys are telling us is that everyone is a minister. In fact, we got to up it. Everyone is a is a missionary, but I asked if we could keep up in it a little bit more and say everyone is a visionary, and they said, "Oh, put the brakes on that, man." You don't, not everyone is, everyone's a minister, everyone's a missionary, but not everyone is a leader, and not everyone is a visionary. Now, do you see the game there? Oh, ah. my goodness. And I said, but wait a minute. According to the uh, the Feast of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, uh, in fact, everyone in the church is a visionary because the, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And the response back was, oh, this is priceless. Well, when we use vision, we're using it not in a biblical sense, but in a business sense. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> so, so now, in a biblical sense, vision means confessing the uh, Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's the Christian vision is Jesus on the cross. This is, this is why, uh, well, this is what Peter's talking about and what Joel is talking about when he says your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I mean, the prophets of the Old Testament stood in the council of God and they saw Jesus crucified for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. That's what the, that was the prophetic vision. And now we've all seen it because mm-hmm. Jesus died on the cross. So that all of us have this complete revelation of the of the will and love of God in the death of Jesus on the cross. So that in, in, if you want to use the language biblically, we're all visionaries. But that's not what they mean. They're not using it biblically. They're using it, what, businessly. Now, isn't it interesting that uh, our Lord has given us a particular office to... Uh, so, I mean, this this is how Augsburg 5 articulates it, that we may obtain this faith through the through the through the uh, public office. Augsburg 5, that's old-fashioned. <laughs> but no, but look at this. Typical we, we, we are told way, that yeah. because we insist in this office which the Lord has instituted, uh, we are being oppressive, right? The, the oppressive clergy. Yeah, yeah. But now now look what's happening. Now there's the oppressive vision casters. Well, I because know. Because they're what separating is... themselves from well, everybody else. No, exactly. <laughs> and what's more oppressive than a vision caster? <laughs> What, see, what's the alternative is a, a pastor, an, uh, which is a minister, and a minister is a servant, not a leader. Right. For heaven's sakes, the oppression comes from the leader, from the Fuhrer. <laughs> ah. So, no, so, so look, we, not, everyone is a minister, but not everyone is a Fuhrer. We Fuhrers are the few, the ones with the gift of apostleship. Gee whiz. I was talking a, I was talking to a retired oh. pastor recently, and he, he painted this picture just wonderfully for me. Um, that you know, if you ha- if you have like the typical corporate ladder, you yep. have the kind of uh, entry level position, and then you might uh, r- come to a management level position, and then like an upper management, and then at the very top uh, is like the CEO or CFO or something like that. And so the the, the corporate ladder is a, a triangle, right? Um, but if you see what our our Lord has done, our Lord comes not to be served, but to serve. Yes. So he takes this corporate triangle and flips it on its head, and Jesus is the servant of all. He's at the oh, bottom. Right. And uh, now this is fascinating. That uh, who does he he place to uh, serve his people with his gifts? But he gives pastors. Yes. So uh, above that small little triangle at the bottom of Jesus would be would be pastors, and who are they to serve? But the but the lay people. Right. And then uh, of the lay people, uh, who are uh, who should be higher on this? Who is given to serve who? Well, men are given to serve women, so women are higher on this ladder. And then among among them, that children. I mean, so you see, the pinnacle of of Jesus' care is always with the children. Right. Let the children come unto me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, what what we often want to do is say we want to want to say, well, how dare you say that women shouldn't be in these leadership positions? How dare you say women shouldn't be pastors? And we're simply saying that, hey, we're supposed to be serving you. My insistence that a woman shouldn't be a pastor is my insistence that the Lord has set it up so that I would serve you. It'd be like going into the restaurant and demanding you go back there and cook the meal in the kitchen. You are obviously a sexist. (laughs) And a hater and a typical Fort Wayne grad. I mean, I can't believe all of that oppressive talk that just came out of your mouth. I know. Okay, let's go to question number two here. Well, that's Um, the first question. Uh, What was the question? The things we do as a church are done as a result of driving vision of the senior or lead pastor. And what is the options to answer? Yes, no. Not at all. Once in a while, some of the time, most of the time, all of the time. Yeah, okay. 
Gotcha. Okay, question number two. Uh, now, this is interesting. At first, I thought, eh, no, no biggie on this one, but I think there's something to be said here. Number two, people come to prayer and seasonal services when available. Ah, okay. Now, uh, can you figure out what's cooking behind this question here? No. Well, I think uh, here it's making a division between those people who come to the Sunday morning service, you know, which everybody does, versus right. those who are especially committed to come to midweek services. Right, that's right. So so the the measure of a organic church, it has a lots of people who are more committed than just the Sunday morning uh, gatherers. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah the, the the main Sunday service is not enough. I, because one of the things, remember, one of the things to figure out how big a missionalist are you is how much you, are you destroying vocation. <laughs> <laughs> I was now. I, I mean, it's good that we have midweek services and that we have opportunities for prayers uh, other times of the week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fine, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, it is an interesting thing to say. What metric do you use to? Um, uh, to to see the kind of health of a congregation, right? And so, the, and there, and this is one of the things that they're going to focus in on, right? So, so I mean, we can even say under the third commandment, uh, Christians ought to go to the services which the church makes available even throughout the week, right? But if you go there on Wednesday night um, and there's only ten people there, it might not be an indication that the the church is this organic church is dying, it might be just that there's a lot of people who are busy with things on Wednesday nights. Right. <laughs> I have mean, other vocations. Right, yeah. Okay, question number three. The church has a successful ministry with a clear vision for a positive future. What the heck? This is like straight out of Joel Osteen's book. Successful ministry. Well, I'm going to write this down because I'm going to ask my elders. <laughs> the church has a successful ministry with a clear vision for a positive future. Now, clear vision, <laughs> positive future. It's okay, successful. So clear, uh, positive. So what if? So if the if the if it's like this, hey, we're all gonna die, probably. You're like, no, that's not positive, that's and it's no. not clear. Yeah. <laughs> well, it might be clear, but it's definitely not positive. If you say, no, see, if we're all gonna die, that's clear, but we're all probably gonna. Oh, die. I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you well, could take out that probably. It would make your negative vision a lot more clear. Isn't isn't this question kind of uh, uh, what's that fallacy? Uh, 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 begging the question. So the whole thing is to analyze whether your church is, is successful or not. And this question says the church has a successful a successful ministry with a clear vision and positive future. You're right. Um, I mean, the, here's part of the problem. I, I, I think this is really quite important. Is that a movement is always looking to the future. Vision is always looking to the future, to the things not yet completed, whereas vocation is always looking to the present. Mm. What is real now? Who is my neighbor? Not who will be my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? So that vocation has us looking at the present and and even at the past, whereas the visionary leaders always have us looking towards the future because then we become more malleable and easy to change. That's right. We need to go to a break again. What? Um, I know. How are we going to have any time to crunch a praise song? But we'll try to work it in Squeeze it in. That's right. Doing our best to serve our neighbor. That's right. Our vocation here is terrible radio host. We'll be right back. Praise song crunching. (laughs) Table Talk Radio. So exciting. 
you won't notice. Turn it up! And we're back on Table Talk Radio. You are rocking the Club Rogue River today. <laughs> That's right. I, I have no complaints about this music. So I've got one more question from this survey that we can uh, what analyze. What game What's are we going to play with this nonsense? I, Let's I, hear it. Well, I don't know. I, I think this, is, this could fit into uh, how big of a Michelinist are you? Because the, the questions, I mean, you can't answer these questions uh, in any good way. If you believe the Bible and the Book of Concord, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah, I know it. It's a, it's a. It, the questions themselves are redefining your theology, are exactly. redefining your ecclesiology. That's right. What is this? Is called how to be passive aggressive with surveys. <laughs> <laughs> I like that game. Using questions to redefine theology. <laughs> All right, I got one more for you here, yeah, and you can yeah. you can. The atmosphere in the church is one of enthusiasm, and people are passionate about living out their faith and the mission established by the founding members of the church. I don't even—I think I know what they mean by this, but the great irony is it is that so atheological are these questions that they have no sense that the enthusiasm is in fact a theological category that, <laughs> that we reject— so Luther, for example, will say every heresy is enthusiasm. Now, what he doesn't mean is every heresy means that we get really excited, right? But rather, every heresy is a rejection of the external word, which is the is what we talk about enthusiasm. I mean, that's just what it means. So, well, and I think uh, the interesting thing here is that the uh, let's see, they're passionate about living out their faith and the mission established by the founding members of the church. Well, the founding members of the church are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> And uh, the the vision and mission that they set out was, again, to preach the gospel, to administer the sacraments, to baptize and teach, and uh, to not be missionalists, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, to not be vision casters, which draw people away from that holy office, which the Lord institutes his gifts. So anyone who's lost. being honest about number seven would have to say... Uh, if they uh, if they're uh, you know have a missional community, they have to say not at all, not at all. Are we impassioned about what our Lord has set out to do? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But except, uh, uh, but we are enthusiasts, no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, okay, what, one more thing. Say a word about this idea of being passionate about living out their faith. Well, that's fine, but you see, it's the same old pietism shtick, and that is to say that what matters is not doctrine or teaching. You're pushing people away from doctrinal articulation, and now it's about the faith lived out, um, and that's what that's pushing towards. So more important than confessing the faith truly is living the faith passionately. I mean, that's the shift. That these guys want to make now. I mean, look, do we want to make these two things exclusive of one another? No, but it's the it's not our love for our neighbor that saves us or them. By the way, it's the love of God which is given to us in the promise in the doctrine. Right. Okay. Well, David writes an email to questions at tabletalkradio.org in which he says, "I'd like to submit this song for the praise song cruncher. I heard it sung in a church as a solo." And the song is Let Them See You by J.J. Weeks Band.
Uh, this is the theme song for Sacramento Entrepreneurs, isn't it? Hate is going to hate, 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 hate. Play is going to play, play, play. That's what we are. We're haters and players. <laughs> Wait, well, how are we players? Because we play games. Get it? Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't even know. That's what we you do maybe on don't we know what games. that means. Okay. <laughs> You might want to ask me fourteen. It's not my buzzword. You might want to player. Or wait, dater. <laughs> Dating. You, you, you might want to ask your fourteen-year-old daughter. What you that is. might be out of touch. <laughs> All right. Play games. Hey, I, 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 I'm a player. <laughs> uh, All right. The way that... this works is we ask these particular questions oh, yeah. of the praise song crunchers, and the crunchers first question soon, is: Is Jesus mentioned? Hate again, I hate, 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 hate. So is Jesus mentioned? No, I don't see it. No. The you, there's a you there which is referring to some deity, presumably Jesus. But not, we're not quite sure. Nothing to indicate that it is, in fact, Jesus. Okay. The next Unnamed question. deity. The next question is mystical form, truth, and repetition. Uh, somewhat, somewhat repetitious. I think there are sentences. Who am I without your grace? Another smile, another face, another breath, a grain of sand passing quickly through your hand. What the? No, this doesn't have sentences. I don't know. Maybe that's a sentence. It's close. Let's put it in the middle. Almost a sentence. Almost sentence-ish. Sentence-like. Okay, here's this is what's going to... Mystical content. Now, this is where we're looking for immediacy, uh, romantic imagery, the loss of self, you know, that I am being lost in God or consumed or engulfed, whatever. Internal, that God is inside of me, or subjective, that the uh, things that that, uh, that I have done rather than the things that God has done. Well, if I understand what the song is, in fact, about, which I'm not sure, but it's the idea is, okay, I'm up here singing this song... It's ironic that this was sung as a solo, is it not? <laughs> but so the idea is that take away the melody, the song, and take away the lights and the songs you I write, and the the and now let me. I want to be a conduit of your presence, so that it's not just a it's not a performance, but rather you become the mystical vortex. <laughs> what is it? What, uh, the portal. The portal into the heavenly presence so that now through this song you are transported to see God. See? Let them see you. That's the name of the song, so that's probably what it's about. Mm. So, so answer mystical content indeed. 
So it's kind of off the ch- definition of mystical content, right? So here. just look at the chorus. Uh, Let them see you in me. I mean, so I mean, if I'm just walking down the street, someone looks at me. Do they don't necessarily see God? This would have to be a reference to my good works, right? No, 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 no. This is a reference to the mystical, um, uh, the mystical work of the praise song. So as I'm up there singing. So when it says take away the melody, take away the song, take away the lights, that doesn't actually mean that they're going to turn off the lights or stop <laughs> singing. But what it means is that the mystical experience comes upon you so that you are lost in the moment, so that now it, the lights are there and the singer is there, but, oh, but, but the portal to heaven is opened up behind them, and now they see God in that place with the, with the mystical God sense. That we all have. We got to put a name for that. It's like it's not hearing or seeing or feeling. I mean, the closest we get to talking about that is feeling, you know, but it's 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 a, it's actually the, the Gnostic has a inner eye. It's a it's a whole new sense that is connected to the, to the spark of the divine nature that's inside you. And that is excited. And when that when that is excited then 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 you do you now have the the kind of immediate awareness of the divine presence and that and so that song is saying it's just plainly saying look excite that little inward seeing divine yeah the, the giz- divine gizmo we, there, i bet you there's a name for it that the people had names for this stuff uh back in the ancient world we'll that we just lost it so the, old, the the closest thing that we can get to it is emotion you know that's mm-hmm. as close as we can get but Okay. All right. Well, there's two more questions on the cruncher. That is uh, law and gospel. Let's see here. Uh, No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Is there? There's no. There's no law or gospel here, is there? No. I mean, says there's sin. No. No sin. No. There's not. It's not about that. It's not what the the thing is about. What? It's not. I mean, I don't know. It could be some sort of repentance for like, for the for the entertainment type worship, you know. But uh, this is all the popular entertain the popular praise songs are the anti praise song songs mm-hmm. that talk about how it's not about me, which in fact is a sentence about you. <laughs> You can't just can't they, the the popular praise songs are the anti praise song praise songs, but you just can't they can't escape it. You know? Okay, what about uh, other false doctrine not already addressed? There's not much in here. This there is this idea of when they hear you, let them hear me. But that is not talking when Jesus says, "Whoever hears you hears me." He's not talking about the mystic like. It's, it's talking about actually preaching his word. Right. And to understand that means that we bring that word to him. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like all of Evan's insights on culture. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, hypothesis, lung cancer, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.